0: Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies.
1: As many of you probably know, I've been in the medical device industry for gosh, over 23 years now. It's hard to believe it's been that long time flies and you know by and large i've had pretty much a good time most of that duration but one of the things that's always been a little bit of a head scratcher as i actually scratch my head is compliance you know especially on quality system things we know as the medical device companies who are in the united states especially and even outside the united states you're going to be subjected to audits whether that be you know, FDA for U.S., or you know, potentially you have an ISO certification, and you're going to have to maintain that compliance as well. You know, Specifically when it comes to FDA, year after year after year after year after year after year, I could go on and on and on. Same issues are always at the top, and they're usually things like CAPAs, complaints, design controls, and there are a few others, but CAPA, complaint, design controls, those are almost always in the top you know, five, maybe even the top three issues that medical device companies have. Why is that? Why do we keep struggling with these things? So I have an opportunity to catch up with Tom Rinkowitz, VP of RAQA at Rayland Compliance Partners. And we chat a little bit about that, but then also give you a little bit of food for thoughts, things to think about, you know, what's beyond those big recurring compliance issues. Is there something else that we should be focused on? So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And joining me today is Tom Rinkowitz. Tom is the VP of RAQA at Raylan Compliance Partners. Tom, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Oh, absolutely. So we were catching up a little bit before we started the recording today. And I think a good thing for us to talk about today, you've got a lot of experience, I think from both the device and the pharma side. You've been doing this for a while. You probably lost your hair in the process like I did. Um, Yep, that's about it. Um, But I
0: didn't pull out, fell out. So (laughs) uh,
1: Yeah, Uh, and truth be told, mine was probably gone many years before I got into the depth of the industry. But You shared with me some of the things that you're observing. And I thought today we could talk about, you know, what are some of the current compliance issues that are happening in the med device industry? And I guess the second part of that, why are these things continuing to happen? Because, you know, if you look at data year after year after year, in large part, the same issues are the top issues year after year after year. So maybe that'd be a great place to start. What are you seeing in your practice?
0: Yeah, it's it is exactly what you said, John. It is very interesting. We're sitting here looking at you know things. It really was a mid two thousands when FDA started really going after the device industry, right? And some of the first observations I had were. In their quality system, Kappa complaints, <laughs> design controls, things like that. And almost every device company that gets inspected gets some observations in one or more of those same areas, right? And so you got to look at what's going on here. Are people just not paying attention? Do they not want to do these things? Are they intentionally not being compliant? And I don't believe that's the case. So it's it's interesting when I look at with the reasons behind it and why don't companies look at what's happening to their peers? Why don't they see that? Why don't they fix that? And while I think there has been some improvement, the one aspect that the companies don't have to share with FDA are the results of their internal audits, right? Expected to prove that they have an internal audit program. However, they're not required to share that information. So what I've noticed over the years, (laughs) different projects, different clients, it pretty much goes across the board that what they do internally is they have internal audits that address components of the quality system. Mm -hmm. So maybe... You know, Mary, who is in quality control, does her internal audit is, you know, over Bob, who is the kappa guy, right? And the dynamic that doesn't get addressed is Bob and Mary probably know each other fairly well, probably have lunch together even, you know, and, and out of just human behavior, they want to help each other, right? So sure. they're not really honest. They don't write down the observations because Bob knows Mary's going to get in trouble if he points out things and it ends up in the management review, right? Which is another interesting aspect of the entire quality system is where that happens and to what depth, right? How complete that management review is. But I think there's a two-part issue here is number one, the internal audit is focused on a component of the quality system. And then the human behavior piece of not wanting to help their peer improve. So maybe you point out that, oh, you you forgot to sign these documents. You forgot to note all this stuff. And in the end, those things continue to happen, right? Right. So they happen until an FDA inspector comes by and happens to notice the same thing. The second issue about internal audits is we're auditing individual components of the quality system. When FDA comes in, they inspect the quality system. right. So two different kind of ways around that. What I've done with some of our clients, not all clients are willing to kind of bite this off, but some are, is to have an independent company who you contract. You called internal audits, but you contract with a company, self-serving as a Rayland or someone else doing this. Sure, And actually come in without those personal relationship bias, right? And we've done that for some companies over the years, and it's been very successful in finding (laughs) the problems. Fixing them is a different story because that still takes the company to adjust their processes and their practices. But the other thing is to change the focus and the style of the internal audit which means let's do the internal audit rather than individual components. Let's do it the same way an inspector would, Mm -hmm. right? We're all managing kappas, complaints, and come in just like an inspector would. They yank one out, yank out a kappa and say, show me the complaint that went along with this. Show me the investigation. Show me the root cause investigation. Show me where you brought it back to your design control. Show me where you improved your product, right? So that you don't have that that issue and that to me would be a successful style for doing an internal audit because you're exercising your quality system Mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at a piece to me that can work and should work not a lot of companies you know most companies we actually have had success with small firms doing it because they're not already entrenched with you know 10 or 15 or 20 years of doing things the same way we've always done them you know, but new companies are starting out, they're developing their quality system, right? Because it doesn't have to be as a startup company. You don't have to have everything in place. You have to have the framework in place for the quality system, as you guys know, right? You, that's of course. Part and part of what you have, right? Your product. So they're much more able to adapt and yeah. do the right thing for the right reason. And one of the other interesting observations I I see, observations of mine, when we're talking with companies, is they all have, especially a lot of large companies, we all manage our complaints. We manage our kappas. And as long as they hit some acceptable threshold, we're good, right? We're, yeah. we, geez, we only have, you know, we have a cap of turnaround of 90 days. That's great because we used to have 120, right? You know, we only have a small back, your 50 cap or complaints backlog instead of 100 we used to have. You think about it, shouldn't the entire process be built upon having zero complaints? Let's- right. The reason we're doing this is to improve the product, make it safer, make it quality, so we don't have to manage complaints. We don't have to manage CAPAs, right? But it's interesting because we all fall into this corporate management scheme that we got to have this. And In fact, I'm speaking with someone at a very large company just recently, and he was telling me how their product line is... They've got a, 90% of their products that are sold are research use only, and 10% are sold to customers on the market, you know, a, a filed device. Yet, when they're doing their investigations, looking at complaints, they don't count the 90%. Even oh, wow. though it's the exact same product, hmm. they don't have to report those because it's research use only. So okay. the opportunity to actually improve their product is only 10% of what it could be. So it's, you know, a lot of this is, to me, is human behavior piece, right? We get out there in the corporate world, everyone's got a job to do. We've got a complaint handling department, you know, that handles calls or a call center that takes them all in from the public or physicians. And they fall into this bucket where somebody has a job to do, right? And they have to do this job eight hours a day. And frankly, they don't want to work themselves out of a job either, right? So nobody's jumping up and saying, hey, let's look at this differently to get rid of this aspect, right? To yeah. improve our product to the point we don't have these, right? What if instead of having you know, a thousand complaints a month come across your desk that have to be then bucketed into different categories, well, what if it was 50, right? And it's so now instead of having a team of people, you have one or two people, and maybe you're not having the same problems you used to have. So it's interesting when you look at it, that human behavior piece of it.
1: Yeah, I jotted down a couple notes. I have a couple of, uh, I guess, reactions. Maybe we can dive yeah. into a little bit further. I guess the first one, You talk about the way we've sort of corporately designed or architected our various processes. Mm -hmm. There's oftentimes some sort of KPI or something we're measuring about those individual processes, Like you mentioned, number of days a cap is open, number of open complaints and things of that nature. Do you
0: feel like maybe we're measuring the wrong things when it comes to these processes? Definitely. In some cases, we are right? Instead of, you know, we talk about kappa effectiveness, right? A lot of times that effectiveness measure is how long they're open, right? Right. Or how many. That's right. It's not effectiveness, right? That's good to
1: know. It's good to know, but it's not the measure of your effectiveness.
0: Right. It's good to know from a, you know, people management, right? Right. How many people you need and what you have going forward. But yeah, it's not really measuring your effectiveness of your CAPAs. So, and because, you know, when it breaks, comes down to it and it perpetuates, we get down to the internal audit and we look at, did we do a good job on this little bucket? Did we do a good job on this one, this aspect of the quality system, not Mm -hmm. the whole thing, right? The CAPA effectiveness is only effective if the entire process works. And springs together.
1: Yeah. The other thing that I want to explore a little bit further is this notion of I would say the classic or probably the conventional approach, as you've mentioned, to internal auditing is that we break it down element by element. You know, and arguably speaking, a company probably has somewhere between twenty and fifty, give or take, different procedures and they'll schedule internal audits. And I think that, you know, in some respects that could be good. Because it's really scrutinizing that individual process. But I hear your point. Very few companies actually take sort of that top-down overall system view of their of their audits. So it's like, you know, if you want to do the individual elements, okay, I get that. Those are opportunities to streamline and fine-tune the process, but you have to take a big picture look. And I know people are gonna say, but John, Tom, we're struggling to do internal audits as it is, right? Keep in mind, FDA, when they come to do their inspection generally, they're going to take about five days. And generally, you know, they're going to be able to cover most all of your processes in that system approach. So there's something to be said for that.
0: Yeah, the thing is, right, when you're only auditing an element of your quality system, exactly what you're doing is you're looking at the procedure. Did we follow this checklist? We do the documentation. And while that is important, You can't deny that somewhere down on the list, maybe four or five, six is documentation as far as audit observations, people not following their own procedures. So there is something to be said for that, but that's really not, you know, when FDA comes in, they're not going to pull out, give me your whole list of, you know, kappas that you've done and start looking for the kappa document, right? They're going to pull and look and say, did this string follow all the way through? So, and uh, I think taking that, they still find the documentation (laughs) procedure. So what are we really doing? Right. We're doing the individual element where it should be a documentation verification yet they're still finding them because it's still high on the list. Uh, so. I'm just going to
1: say that like, even from a system approach, if I'm taking that approach as an auditor and I pull a CAP example, I can determine whether or not that CAP procedure was followed just by looking mm-hmm. at that. But then I'm more interested in, you didn't use these words exactly, but following the thread, you know, what happened upstream and downstream and as exactly. a result of that. I mean, I, understanding how all these parts
0: connect is really the big picture. It's, it's how we get yeah. better as medical device managers. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what... My opinion, that's what we should be doing because otherwise we're, if our focus is compliance to some regulation and the ticking a box, right? Filling out a document, filling out a checklist. If that's the extent of our focus is complying to something instead of a system of quality, a quality system that assures that we're giving safe and effective product to the public, to our patients. So it's, it's quite interesting. And I know there's some discussions around that, right? The case for quality. Ah, program that FTD has largely right now on the pharma side, but it's a dynamic that device and pharma and near the twain shall meet, right? <laughs> <laughs> the GMP regs are pharma. We don't talk about those. Let's talk about the 820s or ISO 13485, right? That's right. that's our side, which you know it comes to different issues as we go down the line too that so far haven't really been addressed. Maybe we'll talk about that in a
1: moment, but in the meantime, I want to take a quick break. I want to remind folks that I'm talking with. Tom Rinkowitz. Tom is the VP of RAQA at Rayland Compliance Partners. Tom, while we're taking this break, do you mind sharing a few words and sharing with folks a little bit more about Rayland and the types of services
0: that you offer? Sure, sure. So we're a quality and regulatory compliance consulting company. We're not unique in the market, right? There are a lot of people doing what we do. Our focus is really making sure that we're a service-first company. So it's what our client needs. We don't walk in and impose our process. There certainly are plenty of companies who say, you know, here's our best practice and you should follow it. And here's what we do. What we do is we like to focus on what our client needs. And sometimes their need is they need a subject matter expert to help establish a strategy or a program for improvement of their company. Sometimes they need to the outsource project. We're doing a lot of these where it's a computer system validation project. You're implementing a, a Mac or some other system or an ERP system. And we do the CSV aspect, everything from a project manager all the way through the end. And sometimes we have clients, they just need some more operational bandwidth. They just need people. They've got a lot of work to do. And especially in this market, good people are hard to find and clients are having a hard time hiring good people, but they usually look in their local market where we have a national reach. We have a large network. We've been around for about 20 years and all of the main, the principals in the company are all all around myself. I got my start at Abbott Labs back in the 80s, right? Cut my teeth there before getting out in the consulting world, the dark side in uh, (laughs) 2000. But that's really what we do. We really want to make sure that we're not trying to impose our goals onto our clients. We're there to help them yeah. and do what they need. So
1: and I think that's, you know, sadly, somewhat novel approach in our industry. And I say sadly because you didn't say this exactly, but I've experienced it myself, you know, both at Greenlight and consulting practice that I have prior to Greenlight is a lot of times the company will hire a consultant because they know they have a need. And consultant will bring their set of processes and procedures and rip out the old and try to force in, you know, their approach. And then the initiative, the project's over. Consultant leaves, and the company is sitting there like we—they didn't have any ownership. They didn't have any influence on it. And then okay. lo and behold, a couple of years later, the company probably had a bigger problem because now you know they've had repeat
0: fractions, and that's just not going to work. Yeah. yeah, in fact, that's one of the aspects we do when we're doing a let's say, for instance, a quality system remediation. Yeah. Right, where someone has been under enforcement action, need yeah. to fix things. And there are a lot of companies who want to come in, bring a team, ram through all these things, we'll fix all the, get rid of all their complaints, their Kappas, we'll do all this, and then we're out the door, like you said. Our approach is, let's have a team where we're mixed, right? Right. We'll have someone who's going to focus on Kappa. You put your Kappa guy with us. We'll work hand in hand doing this and teach along the way. You know, I don't want to park myself at a client and be there for five years. We want to come in, help them fix the problem, help them improve their process, and then Get the heck out. Yeah, they have to own it at the end of the day. So,
1: yeah. If you'd like to learn more about Raylan Compliance Partners and their products and services, it's pretty simple. Go to their website. R-A-L-A-N-D.com, R-A-L-A-N-D.com. I know I said that really fast. Sometimes yeah. in Southern <laughs> Indiana gets the best of me, but Raylan.com, you know, certainly Tom is a resource as well as a number of other folks on the Raylan team that are very experienced and there to help. So, you know, connect with them. They, you know, even if it's for how should we structure our internal audit program or
0: what's our quality system strategy and those sorts of things, I'm sure. Yeah. Any of those types of things. Or if you just have a question, right? You have a question. You need to bounce it off someone, right? Does this make sense? Am I barking up the wrong tree? We're all ready to help and do anything to help move things along with people, right? Absolutely.
1: And while we're taking this break, I want to remind folks about the Greenlight Guru Medical Device Success Platform. It is an all-in-one software service that is there to help you manage many aspects of your quality management system from design and development, through risk management, through document and record management, through quality events, things like kappas and complaints. And it's all in a single source of truth. And, you know, what's great about the medical device success platform, we have gurus, people who have medical device experience who work at Greenlight, and we have partners like Tom and Raylan, compliance partners, that we partner with to help our customers achieve success when it comes to compliance and true quality and effectively managing a quality management system. So if you'd like to learn more about the Greenlight Guru medical device success platform, it's very simple. Go to www.greenlight.guru. You can learn all about the software platform. If you'd like to have a conversation, just click the button, request some time. We'd love to talk about your needs and requirements and see if we have products and solutions that can help you. So check that out. All right, so Tom, you know, you've got a lot of experience on both device and pharma. And before we started the recording of the episode today, I almost heard like a cautionary tale or a beware tale. And I'm like, hang on, we're going to get into that when we chat. And what I heard though is, you know, so far from a device perspective, you know, FDA's focus, you know, I think has been pretty consistent for, you know, the past couple of decades or so, at least in device. Mm-hmm. Now that's it's a lot different in pharma. And part of what I heard you hint at or suggest, maybe, you know, you can tell me if, If I misheard, is that in device we better be prepared because there's an opportunity or there's a good chance that FDA will start to shift to be more pharma-like in their inspections.
0: So what are you seeing there, or what advice do you have there? Yeah, most definitely. And this comes from years of you know as I kind of transition from my pharma experience at Abbott into consulting and then working on with device companies is that you know that was kind of I mentioned earlier right device is looking at you know the 820s and 13485 in pharma that's 210 and 211 GMPs and they don't cross right we have had people who said you know we don't want to talk to pharmaceutical consultants because they don't understand our needs right and the truth is up until now, that has kind of been the case, like you mentioned, because the low-hanging fruit, right? An inspector walks into a device company, asks for these same things, the CAPAs, the compliance, the quality system stuff, and they're finding it, right? And they kind of, from an inspector perspective, and I know plenty of XFDA folks, we're going to find something, right? They can't come in and do an inspection and walk out. Nobody's perfect. They're going to find something. And up until now, they haven't had to dig. I'm sure there are some who've wanted to. I'm sure there are some who have walked in the door and seen, you know, because they don't only inspect device companies. They right. inspect companies, right? And they haven't had the opportunity or maybe- <laughs> Too much <laughs> maybe low-hanging fruit that needs to be systemic issues that are low-hanging back, fruit, right? It maybe seem, it would seem mean, right? If, if on top of all that stuff, they also say, oh yeah, by the way, your finishes and your manufacturing floor are not GMP, but that's what's coming, Right. In a perfect world, we improve, get rid of these, get past these low-hanging fruit quality system issues, but then they're going to start taking a walk around your plant. They're Mm -hmm. going to start looking. They're going to see your equipment. They're going to want to see your equipment validation. They're going to want to see your pest control, you know, what you do there. God forbid they find something on the floor, right? And from my pharma days, you know, when it was a planned inspection, I mean, geez, things were painted, things were <laughs> floored, yeah, waxed, new terrazzo floor, anything. But you had to be ready every day in case you don't get that unplanned inspection, right? Somebody knocks on the door, you can't. I've seen companies who have cleared people off the manufacturing floor and turned <laughs> off the lights and said, we're shut down today. We, we, you can't come in and look at our manufacturing area. But the reality is they're going to start doing that. And I know just from physically being in device companies and on their manufacturing floor and their warehousing space, those things are going to happen. And a lot of companies might not want to believe it, but they are also liable to be compliant to the GMPs. That is the rule. That is the way it works. It's not just 820s. There are certainly elements, if you look at it, elements of quality systems are required in pharma, even though... 210, 211 don't go into the same level of detail, right? right? They don't talk about the same quality system, but pharmaceutical companies are expected to comply with that as well. So it's gone that way where pharma companies are getting scrutinized on their quality system side that is explicitly written in the 820s. Mm-hmm. But the device guys need to start opening their eyes and knowing that eventually they're going to come walking in the door. And what I see is kind of a big looming presence that's over the horizon right now, but it's going to come. It's Mm going to come one day and uh, it'll be a different world for them.
1: And I think, you know, we talked about, you know, elements versus system and I can hear people, you know, I can imagine the reactions of folks listening (laughs) to this that like, wait a minute, Tom, John, our internal audit team is already stressed and strained as it is. And they probably are doing the best they can, uh, you know, but I think, you know, maybe there's some nuggets here that we can suggest to people first, you know, taking that system approach, but being super thorough with that is one way to gain some efficiency. And then if you're gaining that efficiency here, this might give you another opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into other areas that
0: oftentimes probably don't see the light of day when it comes to auditing things like GMPs, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think by nature, because there's this compliance hammer hanging over people's heads, they don't think about The the inspectors are human beings too, right? right? And if as part of the kickoff for an inspection, you say, listen, we do something a little bit novel on our internal audit process. We don't only audit elements of the quality system. We take a system approach. and do the same thing you guys would do. Just by saying that gives an inspector a different attitude, I think, from your plan, right? In your inspection, what they're going to do. You know, people are always afraid to, when I was with Abbott, it was, you know, don't say anything, right? Be careful, you're in the bathroom. Don't mention anything. Make sure, because you never know when someone's going to overhear you. These guys, I know a lot of ex-FDA, and I know some FDA inspectors. They're human beings, right? They're people. Their ultimate goal is to improve our products. And safety and, you know, you or me or anyone, right? We've got either one of us or our family or someone else we love or our neighbor are going to be a patient and need these things. Don't you yeah. want to be as safe as possible? Right. Right. That's really what it boils down to. The other thing, when people talk, ask me about my thoughts, opinions, uh,
1: ideas, et cetera, on auditing, especially internal auditing. My first comment to them is your internal auditing program needs to be the toughest audits that your company has. Mm-hmm. And clearly if that were true, he would be okay with sharing when Mary yeah, uh, exactly. was, was dropping the ball or something wasn't you know being addressed. But clearly, we're not getting that message. I mean, clearly, our internal auditing as an industry, at least as a whole, needs to be tougher, you know, a little bit. It needs to be more thorough, and it needs to be more complete, and it needs to be more detailed and more difficult. Honest. Honest. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just honest.
0: Yeah, yet, you know, at the same time, a human behavior piece, right? Some people are afraid of it's, it's tough times, especially these COVID times, right? Nobody wants to be sitting with a negative review, a negative, you know, losing their job or something. If people are out there hanging, that's, that's a tough one to get people to get past, right? And it comes down to trust. Does your company attitude, do they really value their people and be transparent internally to do that and, and value when people truly are trying to improve the product? Yeah.
1: I'll bring this back. I think we're talking a little bit about what's the culture within a company. Does a company have a true quality culture? And, you know, know, culture is one of those, or can be one of those esoteric things that can be hard to describe, but hopefully try to make it a little less vague and share an example at Greenlight. Mm -hmm. One of the things that our team focuses on is this framework. The author's name is Patrick Lencioni, and he has a framework (laughs) called the five behaviors of cohesive team. And the base of those five behaviors, the first thing you have to get right is vulnerability-based trust, right? And once you have that, then you can get into conflict and alignment and, you know, drive toward results and all these sorts of things. I think the other thing that's important that we try to remind our team at Greenlight is if it seems as though Mary's dropping the
0: ball, assume ignorance and not malicious behavior, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 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 And we never know what's going on with someone else, right? Right. If something happens, it's it right. Don't assume someone is doing something wrong on purpose. Right. right. And it comes down, you know, like you said, comes down to a, a trust, right? Internally at your company, whether you're a consulting firm, you know, a software company like yours, or you know, we're one of the biggest multinationals. People have to know that they're valued. And that, uh, and be able to trust that when they do something that might seem unpopular, that it's okay if yeah. the motivation is right. Right.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that's key. Motivation is right. If I'm only, uh, if I'm out there on a witch hunt trying to poke holes and just dis- yeah. identify something that's an issue for the sake of calling people out, that's not the right spirit. I mean, are all of our goals and objectives within the device company, in my opinion, is all about. We have to do what's best for patient. What's the best thing we can do for the quality of that product, right? Yeah. If our motives are aligned with that, then good. I mean, we can get better as a company. We have opportunities yeah. to improve. So Tom, as you're we wrapping up our conversation did any last minute tips, pointers, suggestions that you think it's key for folks to think about on this topic of audits, inspections,
0: GMP, things of that nature? Yeah. And it's really kind of what we've talked about, you know, look at your quality system as a system, right? It's not just a bunch of elements, right? Not just a bunch of procedures, not just a bunch of standalone checklists. Right. Look at it as a system. And if any one of those elements aren't working, it's the the weakest link in the chain concept. Right. Then the whole thing falls apart. So you've got to look at it in that respect. Right. We're not just a bunch of people doing their individual jobs. And as long as I'm doing my piece, everything's fine you got to look at the entire picture.
1: Yep, 100%. And the longer we perpetuate this element-only approach, it just means our silos are going to grow taller and the walls thicker. We have to figure out how to blend because we are working in a system of systems in a medical device company. One thing that I do absolutely is going to have upstream and downstream ramifications. So I need to be cognizant of that make sure that I'm fairly inspecting and auditing my company with that in mind. Tom Renkowitz, VP, RAQA at Rayland Compliance Partners. Again, you can learn more about Rayland. Very simple, rayland.com, R-A-L-A-N-D.com. Tom, thank you so much for being a guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. It's great Absolutely. talking
0: and look forward to talking in the future.
1: Absolutely. And folks, I want to thank you for listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. It's because of you that this is still the number one podcast in the medical device industry. So keep spreading the word to your friends and colleagues. You've probably picked up by now. We're not just on iTunes and Spotify and all the places you listen to things. We are on YouTube. You can watch the latest episodes of the Global Medical Device Podcast as well. So thank you so much. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.